Good morning. Today's scripture comes from Matthew 17 and 2 Peter, the first chapter. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And going to Second Peter. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when you were told about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the Word of God. I'm going to give you a song that was written by uh, John Reddick. He's a worship leader. Um, you can do your searches on the computers and, and get a bunch of his music. He's, uh, I think he's amazing, and, and uh, I definitely encourage you to do so. And this is where I have been at lately um, in my walk with God.
vacation week because I don't have to go to school. Yes, yes. Awesome. So when I was reading the scriptures this week, I said, what can I do on vacation week? And all the scriptures talk about the mountains. So I think I might go to the mountains or at least go into the wild somewhere. So I have my tent and I have my chair. I don't like to sit on the ground. And I have my water, and I have a snack, and I have my blanket. I'm all set. I'm going to go find God. I'm going to go sit out there and just wait for God. 
That's a good thing, right? Yeah. I, I should be able to stay out there pretty long, at least till the weather gets cold. It's supposed to be nice most of the week, but the end of the week, man, I don't know if my blanket's going to be quite enough. But I do have my tent, and you know, I don't, I don't have to sit on the ground. I can sit on my chair, and I can just wait for God. And when God shows up, then we can just hang out and be together all week or forever. Except the school vacation week ends. And that means I have to come back. And then I thought about the fact that Moses had gone up to the mountain. But he had to come back because God gave him something that we needed. Gave him the Ten Commandments. And then when the disciples went up on the mountain with Jesus, they had to come back too. Because they found out who Jesus really, 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 really was. And we had to know that. So they had to come back, too. So I guess I'm not going to be able to stay there forever. But the other awesome thing is I don't really have to go with my tent and my chair and my blanket and everything else to find God. Because just as Tim just sang, he's right here. He's right here in this room with us. So that's pretty good. We could just all hang out here, right? I could hang out here all week or forever. We can all just hang out here forever. I'll share my water and my snack with you, and we can pass the blanket around. But you know what? I don't think that's what God wants us to do either. We have church for a certain amount of time for a reason, because if we just stayed here all the time, we'd never do what he wants us to do. He wants us to take what we get here the knowledge we have of him, the way he's working in our lives, and share it. So as much as I'd like to spend the whole week just doing nothing but hanging out with God, I know he's got other things he needs me to do. And yes, he wants me to hang out with him, but he also wants me to go and do as well. So this week, while I'm hanging out with God, I'm going to try to figure out just which things he needs me to go and do because I know there's not everything. I know, I'm learning, I'm trying. Uh, (laughs) So, it's important to hang out with God. We don't have to go up to a mountain to do it. We don't even have to go out into the woods or to the beach. That's where I'd rather go, but it's a little chilly. Um, But if we're hanging out with God, even just here on Sunday mornings, that's better than nothing. And he's going to fill us up, and he's going to honor us, and he's going to... Give us what we need to share. Because he never leaves us empty-handed when we meet with him. He always gives us something. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we can meet you on the mountain, on the beach. You are a God of valleys and mountains. You're the God of everything in between. And we're glad that we can meet you here in this place. Wherever we are, we can meet you and hang out with you but help us to remember that you've given us a responsibility too. So help us to share what we've gained from you with the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, that is actually our prayer. Please be our vision. Be the one through whom and by whom we see everything, including what you want to share with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is the last Sunday of Epiphany. 
which seems like it's been really long. <laughs> Um, and today is also what is known as Transfiguration Sunday. I have never celebrated Transfiguration Sunday before, so if you haven't either, we're, this is a first for both of us. Um, do you know what the Transfiguration is? <laughs> yeah, when Jesus went up on the mountain and he started glowing, Tom read us the story earlier, and um, so we're going to talk about that in a minute. But let's recap a little bit. What have we, what are some of the things, maybe not that I wanted you to learn, but what did you learn during this season of Epiphany, which started basically after Celebration Sunday? Anything? About authority? Okay. That's it. We should be like-minded. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, one of the things that I hope we've started to learn a little bit is that as we discover more who Jesus is, as we get to know Jesus better, for ourselves, not just about him, but actually know him and get to know what he's like, we start to, first of all, know a little bit more about ourselves, but also become more of the people that God intended us to be. We become who we are, who we are supposed to be, through Jesus. And we started Epiphany talking about um, Jesus' baptism and how John the Baptist knew who he was, but then he encountered him face to face and in baptizing him and had to like sort of realize, oh, who, who you actually are. Um, and we talked about, yes, as Bernice said, being like-minded and how do we function as all of us are people in different places, but all of us are, belong to Jesus. And so how do we become more united in him. And today we are talking about Jesus being revealed for who he is, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Not just for us, not even just for Jesus' close disciples, but all the way back to the ancient prophets in the early scriptures. So I teach, as you know, I teach a class for the pilgrimage, I teach two classes. One of them is called Stepping into the Story. A couple of you here have taken it. And in week four of that class, we talk about epiphanies and conversions. And the idea is not necessarily, it can be your conversion, how you weren't a Christian before and then you became a Christian, but there are other types of conversions. Conversion means change, right? Like if you convert, if you have a car and it's got this old style engine and then you decide you're going to convert it to a hybrid, you're taking out the old thing and putting in the new thing, it's still a car, it's just, anyway, I don't know about cars, so let's leave that analogy alone. Um, <laughs> but the idea when I teach that class is that an epiphany we know is an aha moment. It's when suddenly, suddenly something that didn't maybe make sense before, it suddenly clicks and you get it. But Epiphanies don't always lead to conversions. They don't always change you. They just 
maybe start to change how you're thinking. But if it's a real epiphany and it works, over time, <clears throat> you, who you are, will start to change because the way you're thinking about things starts to change. So if you knew about Jesus and then all of a sudden you have a real relationship with Jesus and you, and you just encounter him in a new way, over time, you are going to start changing to be more like Jesus because suddenly something changed in your mind and it, it flipped a switch and so now you can start to change. Epiphanies should lead to conversion, some kind of change. Or, like in this story, maybe even a transfiguration. Okay, so here's this story. In the Bible reading challenge, those of you that are reading ahead of, in the passages that we read for the week, um, you were talking about authority, and Sandy, you just mentioned authority, so do you want to say a little bit more what you were seeing? Say no. <laughs> I mean, you can. <laughs> right, both of you were talking about it. <laughs> what were you seeing about authority in these passages? Cool. Love it. I'm not going to say all that, but the basic idea <laughs> was, because <clears throat> that, that was a sermon in itself, it was excellent. Um, the basic idea was Ron saw in the four passages for this week, which came from Exodus, Psalms, Second Peter, and Matthew, that there's this kind of progression of how the Bible shows us God's authority, and it starts with the physical authority. God raises up kings, and he puts down kings that are opposed to him or that aren't his anointed and then he but he also has authority over our spiritual lives over our mental lives emotions everything so great um, authority is important to keep in mind because obviously that has something to do with this title of Jesus the Messiah the son of the living God I you may know I've written a few books and I just finished last year writing another book about Simon Peter who you may have noticed is in today's story. And this book is not fiction, unlike my other ones. It's called Follower, How Getting Close to Jesus Brought Simon Peter to Himself. And it is based on some sermons that I preached back here, back in 2019, about Simon Peter. But I w and so I just took, kind of took those sermons and I rewrote them for chapters, and it was kind of strangely easy. But... Somebody pointed out to me, somebody that had a sneak peek, pointed out to me that there's no sermon or chapter in there on the transfiguration, which you would think there probably should be since Simon Peter's in that story, and it's a pretty remarkable story. So I tried to write a chapter, and it's not very good. It's probably the worst chapter in the whole book, and it's partly because 
I'm not totally sure what the point of this story is. So, <laughs> um, it, yes, it's about authority, but there's something else going on here. So let's see if we can figure this out together. First of all, you may have noticed when Tom started reading this story that Matthew said something like, about six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a mountain. So six days after what? Sometimes the stories in the Gospels aren't all in the same order, but all three Gospels that record this story, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us about something that happened before this, and then six to eight days later, give, a week, give or take, Jesus takes these three disciples up on a mountain, and this happens. So what happened, give or take a week before this, was that Jesus had asked his disciples who they thought, who other people thought he was, and then who they thought he was, and Peter famously said, you are the Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus was like, yes, you got that from my dad. Only the Father could have, could have revealed that to you. You got it, yes. And then, like, in the same conversation, it's kind of like Jesus was like, okay, so now that you guys all know that, that I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God, I gotta tell you, I am headed to Jerusalem eventually, where I will be tortured and butchered. And then Peter was like, no, no, that's never going to happen to you, Jesus. And Jesus then says, get behind me, Satan. So there's this very intense conversation where Peter is told by Jesus both that he's heard something that only God the Father could have let him know, and that he has said something that is more or less satanic. This is a little intense. And so then Jesus takes him and two other guys up a mountain. Can you imagine how Peter's feeling about this at this point? <laughs> like, what, what's going to happen now? Are these two here for, as witnesses? Or like, what am I being taken out to the woodshed? I don't even, what's even going on? So they go up this mountain. And historically, a lot of people have thought that the mountain in question, because none of the gospel writers tell us which mountain it is. A lot of people have thought that it was, there's one of two mountains within Israel. And sometimes people like to say, this is the one time that Moses, who didn't get to get into the promised land, actually made it in there. But my personal theory, and some people think this, I, I could be wrong about this, but I feel like this is potentially important for this story. I think Jesus took them all the way out into the desert up Mount Sinai, or also known as Horeb. And the reason I think this is because of who shows up in a minute. So let's imagine Jesus takes these three guys, they, they go on this long walk, they climb up this mountain, they're at the top of the mountain, and maybe they're, you know, they slept overnight, and then they get up, and it's hazy, and the three disciples are getting breakfast ready, and Jesus is going off to talk to his father like he does, and all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up. What do we know about Moses and Elijah? A lot. Give me some, something really short. What's that? They're both dead, for one thing or they're in a different life than this one. Yeah. 
or the, or the Jewish faith, yes. They are actually the two, so Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. These are two big-time, heavy-hitter, historical people in the, among the people of God. And so they're representing the law and the prophets. I have mentioned the law and the prophets in the last couple of weeks, and Jesus saying something about it. What does Jesus say about the law and the prophets? Right, so Jesus says he's, he didn't come, come to do away with the law and the prophets, but he did come to fulfill them. Yes. So, here we have Jesus and three disciples, and all of a sudden, the law and the prophets show up, and Jesus starts glowing. Why do you think Moses and Elijah were here? What was, their, what was the point of them showing up? Yes, to testify to who Jesus is. Exactly. So, here's Jesus. A week or two-ish after Peter has declared, by knowledge from the Father, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and now they are on, I think, Mount Sinai, which only Moses and Elijah had been up before. We have stories about them in the Old Testament, but we don't know of any other major biblical figures who ever went up there. That's why I think that they're on Sinai. And Jesus starts glowing, and Peter figures out some of it. I think, because he says, let's build some tents up here for you three, and like, let's just camp out. Why do you think he says this? Just a guess. He wanted to stay. Why? Who wouldn't? Okay, right. <laughs> kind of like Barb was saying, let's just go camping and stay in the woods forever and not come back. <laughs> right. And they didn't have pictures. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. That's probably a different sermon, but I like, I like it a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, how, Sandy's saying, how in the world did he know that it was Moses and Elijah in the first place? They didn't have photographs back then. Name tags. <laughs> right. Hi, I'm Moses. <laughs> Glowing name tags. Neon flashing. Yeah. Okay. So here is my suspicion. Peter knew from the Father that God, that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But because of how he reacted to Jesus telling him that he was going to suffer and die, um, Peter did not understand fully what Messiah, Son of the Living God, meant. So, he's still thinking kind of in military terms. Somehow he knows that this is Moses and this is Elijah, and maybe part of it's because they were on Mount Sinai. 
And, um, and also, as Sandy said, there is this spiritual, as we spend time with Jesus, we start to develop an ability to, to see things spiritually. So somehow he knows it's these two guys. And I wonder if he's thinking, let's build three tents for these guys. There are three of us, me, James, and John. We will be the the go-betweens, they're going to stay up here on this mountain, and they're going to command, that's their command post, or their base camp, and we're going to go and rally the troops, and we're going to do whatever they say, so we can kick Rome out, and we can, and Israel can become great again, and so he wants to help establish Jesus' reign in the here and now. I'm not sure he was planning to stay so much as he just wanted to keep them in one place. <laughs> like, you guys stay, now we, can, now we can do it. It's kind of one of those times where, you know, somebody says something and it's awkward and it's not really the right time or something, and, and so nobody says, shut up, Peter, or you're wrong, Peter, but God the Father kind of interrupts him. <laughs> like, Peter's in the middle of saying this, and then God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So the way that he shuts Peter up actually affirms what he already revealed to Peter's heart a couple weeks before. God's saying, what you thought before, Peter, is right. And, not quite right, but this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the law and the prophets testify, and I'm saying it. This is what God says. And then Moses and Elijah disappear, and Jesus stops glowing. Peter and James and John are on their faces, so they miss that part. We don't know how, how Moses and Elijah disappear, because they're, they're all three of them with their faces on the ground. And Jesus comforts them, and he still says, so it's again, it's almost a repeat. The father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, and Jesus says, I'm going to die. But he doesn't say it that way this time. He says, don't tell anybody about this until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So by implication, he's still going to die, but he's not going to stay dead. Have you ever experienced how it's possible to be right and wrong at the same time? Because I have. It's weird. <laughs> this story is a sandwich story. We learned a fancy word for this a few years ago called an inclusio. It means that there's something that happens at the beginning and something that happens at the end. Um, and then some other stuff happens in the middle. So, God the Father reveals to Peter's heart that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Some other stuff happens. That's the filling. And then God the Father reveals out loud to Peter and others that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter is having epiphanies in order that he may, his way of life, his way of thinking, and his way of being may be converted. And he was converted. His whole life was converted. He reflects on this experience many years later when he starts writing letters that we now have in the Bible. So that's what we read in our second passage this morning. 
um, in 2 Peter, Peter wrote that letter, and in the passage that we read, which is chapter 1, verses 16 to 21, it's like he's reflecting back on this exact episode. So he's saying, I was right. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred, mount, sacred mountain. So he's saying, I was right about Jesus. I saw what I saw. I heard what I heard. All of that said, I was right. He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then he says, but I also didn't totally get it. Because then he says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he's kind of saying, I couldn't, nobody could have figured out that this was the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and what that actually meant without the affirmation of the Father. This was true for Moses and Elijah, too. They didn't just make up their prophecies. They didn't just make up the law. They got this from God. Prophecy never had its origin in the human will. So it was true for them. It was true for Peter. He saw and heard and experienced the truth, and he believed it. But it was only in his ongoing walk with Jesus that he was able to discover how that truth and authority and messiahship would be lived out, both in Jesus himself, but then also actually in Peter. So he knew the truth, he believed the truth, he saw, he saw and heard the truth, but he didn't actually know what it would mean, what it would look like, until he started living it out himself in company with Jesus, until he watched Jesus live out what all that means, and then as he started being transformed like that. And this is also true for us. As we continue to follow Jesus, we will keep on receiving epiphanies about who he is, the reality of his authority. I remember, so I grew up in the church, you know, and I had a basically good experience as a pastor's kid. A lot of pastor's kids don't, but, but I did. And um, I knew a lot about the Bible, and I new words like grace and mercy and all of those things that we sing and say. And, and then something happened to me in my 20s where I realized that I had deeply wounded somebody and I needed grace because I wasn't going to be able to move on and the other people weren't going to be able to move on unless I received grace and they were able to give it. And, it was, and I remember thinking to myself, Grace is the most basic part of being a Christian. How can I say that I was a Christian before when I never understood it? Well, I was a Christian before, but I had never had an experience 
of needing grace in that way. I had always been receiving grace, but I suddenly became conscious of it. This is what it is like to follow Jesus, to belong to Jesus, but keep growing and receiving epiphanies and changing as we continue to submit to, but also receive the reality of his authority. Peter says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The prophetic message is the scriptures, which Moses and Elijah, who helped ground Peter, James, and John, represented on Mount Sinai. We can trust that we are hearing the voice of God in scripture and that it reliably, that all scripture reliably affirms Jesus as the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus told Peter, James, and John, don't tell anybody about this until I've been raised from the dead. But now he has been raised from the dead and he wants to rise from the death within our own hearts and souls. When we are focused on Jesus and his authority, as we read scripture and as we pray and interact with each other, focus on him, not the specific thing that we're reading, but on him through what we're reading. When we focus on him as we pray, when we focus on him as we interact with each other, looking for him in each other, then eventually those glimmers of light the hints of dawn will turn into a sunrise, setting our lives ablaze with the life of Jesus. From epiphany, the realization of truth, to conversion, change, transformation into truth, to the transfiguration of life. So, I am going to invite you to join me into a, in a spiritual practice, because Lent starts next week. This is in tandem, this is an extra Bible reading. This is in tandem with the Bible reading challenge. This isn't something that I discuss with anybody, so you don't have to do this with me if you don't want to. Maybe I will just commit to doing it, and if you want to join me, you can. There's an old practice called the examine. It was developed around the time of the Reformation, and you basically, at the end of every day, you take a few moments with God, by yourself with God, and you look over your day. And you say, God, where have I, um, this is a simplified version, by the way, where have I, in, my, in this last day that I just lived, where did I turn towards you, and where did I turn away from you? This isn't so much looking for sin and righteousness. This is just seeing where, am I, where did I act like Jesus? Where was I focused on you and acting out of that? And where did I get a little bit off track or get distracted or um, not necessarily do something bad, but just I wasn't really plugged in to my source? And then you can give all of it, the, the turning towards and the turning away, give it to God and put it away and then move into your next day. I'm going to try that. That's going to be my Lenten practice for this year. And if anybody's interested in that, you can come and talk to me after church. But I am excited with what God is doing in this congregation, what God's been doing over the last almost five years, and what God is going to continue to do. And I really hope that by the end of the year, we're glowing. 
like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We love Jesus. And we are waiting until the day dawns and the sun of righteousness rises in our hearts. Let it be soon until you return. In Jesus' name, amen.